Welcome to session 160 of Scanner School. We're going to start off 2021 with a series of crash courses. This is part one, the basics. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform. We have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial-free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom, and we have a roundtable discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice. Some of the members are answering other people's questions, and we just talk with our fellow scanner school classmates. This is an exclusive group for our $5 Patreon members. Now, again, if all this wasn't enough at that level, you'll also receive discounts to upcoming Scanner School courses and offerings. Now, you can help support Scanner School by going to www.scannerschool.com Patreon or www.scannerschool.com support. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters at all levels, and they are Brian King, Buzz Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Ed Walsh, Eddie Kay, Glenn Bryden, Guy Lee, James Felling, James Peruta, Jeff Block, Jenny Taylor, Jim Heinrich, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Mark Beebe, Michael Kroger, Paul Tilo, Raymond Hill, Richard Armstrong, Robert Kanzler, Ronnie Bach, Sal Marandola, Tim Mazza, Todd Glendai, and William R. Can. Now let's start the podcast. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. Welcome to Scanner School. We teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. Today's podcast is sponsored by my brand new training course, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Software-Defined Radios. Everything you need to know to get started with SDR in an afternoon. Our simple step-by-step course will show you how to set up a brand new SDR, install the drivers on your computer, and have you listening to local stations in just a few hours. This free course is available at courses.scannerschool.com. And, of course, the title of today's podcast is a 2021 crash course. We are breaking down how to scan in the year 2021. I think this is something... We're going to do every single year. So this will be a workshop, our very first live workshop that's going to go in this format. You can sign up for our free workshop at scannerschool.com slash 2021. Now, this is really exciting for me because I've never done something like this before. I've actually been watching some other people do webinars, and I'm really motivated to do this, and I want to bring this format to you guys. So what we're doing today is we are going to kind of break down the webinar. This is going to be part one of what we'll discuss next week, obviously will be part two, and then finally will be part three. But the webinar will be live on January 26, 2021 at 9 p.m. Eastern time. And if you miss the live workshop, you can always catch a replay. So I'm inviting you to go to scannerschool.com slash session 20. 21. This way you'll 
be notified when we go live, everything leading up to it. And again, if you're watching this in the future, listening to this in the future, rather, you can always go back to the workshop and then play catch up on there as well. Now, when we do it live, we'll also have some Q&As as well. We'll have some nice graphics. We'll even have a couple of embedded movies to kind of explain these things. And whether you're a newbie to the hobby or you've coming into it after being absent for a while, or maybe you're just you're into the hobby and you just kind of want to just watch along, maybe catch up on a thing or two. This is definitely the workshop for you. We're going to go right from nothing to everything, basically in about, I would say about two hours <laughs> with questions. So it's going to be fast. It's going to be very informative. And I've already spent the last eight hours today working on it. It's a lot. We'll get you there. So anyway, again, I want to thank my Patreon supporters. This podcast wouldn't be here without you and also check out my paging company eastcoastpagers.com your emergency alerting specialist eastcoastpagers.com all right so as we were saying this is part one the basics of scanning now again if you've listened to this podcast from the beginning great thank you so much this will be a refresher for you but a lot of people don't start at one and they enter the podcast whenever they are introduced to it. So again, we're going to do this, I think, annually. So this will be the 2021 version of this. So let's get right into it. So basically, the basics. What is scanning? Now, scanning is the ability to cycle through many frequencies per second or being able to monitor a single frequency or several frequencies. This allows you to monitor several agencies on a single radio. But most importantly... Scanning is fun. It's a great hobby to be in. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here now listening to a podcast about scanning. So why do we use a scanner instead of a two-way radio? Now, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but let's let's keep this a high-level skim of the surface for the sake of being brief here. So scanners normally have a much faster scan rate than a two-way radio, especially if you look at the Baofeng radio. The Baofeng is is stupid slow when it comes to scanning, right? It, it, is, it is horrible. A scanner is made to scan. It's made to go through a lot of frequencies in a very short amount of time. Scanners also have a much better memory management because, again, these are built and developed to do these functions, right? They're not like a receiver where you have a 1,000 memories and you really can't break them up. Better memory management into smaller groups or scan lists or banks, right? They have larger memories than a typical two-way radio. You have the ability to add longer and larger alpha tagging and breaking down the alpha tags. Again, we said two larger frequency ranges, whereas some two-way radios only do certain smaller areas of our spectrum. Scanners have a larger spectrum range. And also the ability to monitor more complex systems than a single radio. For example, analog, P25, NXDN, and DMR. And also you have on some of the more advanced radios, more complex functions such as RF scopes and other types of decoding. So what kind of stuff can you hear on a scanner? Well, obviously, well, depending where you are, right? Police, fire, EMS, offices of emergency management, transit such as rails, buses, subways, aviation, marine, amateur radio, GMRS, right? The list goes on and on and on. Yes, your money is going to vary or your value is going to vary depending on where you live, right? Because where I am, police in my county are encrypted. So that puts an X through them on what can I hear in my scanner. Everybody over in the UK is saying, 
nope, 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 right? Because they have a different set of uh, listening standards than we have over here. In the United States, owning a scanner is legal, okay? Other countries, not so much, right? But here in the U.S., where I am, that I understand, right, scanning is legal. You do not need any type of permits to own a scanner, okay? But, and however here, some states and jurisdictions have limits on where and when you can use a scanner. For example, using a scanner while driving, having a scanner in your vehicle while driving, or obviously while committing a crime, okay? So there are some rules and regulations depending where you live in the United States based on how you may operate a scanner. But again, to have one in your possession in your home does not require any special type of permit or licensing. So let's break down some basic scanner radio terms. One we use all the time is the frequency in hertz. So what is a frequency? Simply put, a frequency is the number of times that something happens over a set period of time. For example, if you were to take one step every second, in 60 seconds, you would have taken 60 steps. This means your frequency would be one step per second. When I break this down to minute, you've done 60 steps per minute, right? That's your frequency. Now, in RF, we talk about this frequency in cycles per second in Hertz, which is named after the German physicist. And again, it's Hertz, H-E-R-T-Z, or Z, depending where you live. So, an example, when we said we take one step per second, this means we are operating or we're walking at one hertz, okay? Now, in frequencies, we can feel frequencies in vibrations, right? The lower the frequency, the slower the vibration. The higher the frequency, the faster the vibration. We can hear frequencies with sound. The lower the frequency, the lower the sound. And the higher the frequency, the higher the sound. Now, again, the frequency spectrum goes through colors, and then what we're really concerned with is RF, right, in, in the frequencies that we can receive on our radios. So how do we break down frequencies? Well, in order to make life very easy for us, we talk about hertz, basically hertz, kilohertz, megahertz, and gigahertz. So a kilohertz is a 1,000 hertz, a megahertz is a million hertz, and a gigahertz is a billion hertz. Okay, I know I'm throwing a lot at you here. This is where the webinar is going to come in really helpful, okay? So normally we talk about our step size or our bandwidth in kilohertz. So a 12.5 kilohertz is 12,500 hertz or 0.0125 megahertz, if my math is correct. So a frequency of, say, 123.45 megahertz is actually 123,450,000 hertz, or said another way, 123,456 kilohertz. So you can see why we use the naming kilohertz, megahertz, and gigahertz to make our lives easier. It's really to keep our brains from hurting. <laughs> I know, dad joke. Okay, 
I got to do something to break this up, right? Because not all of this is is you know lively and joyful here. This is this is put yourself to sleep, right? Crash into a tree if you're driving. Zone out if you're walking, right? All right. Promise you, we'll get to a break in a minute here. AM, FM, narrow FM, upper, lower sideband. Upper, lower sideband, we're going to talk about. We really don't talk about it in the scanning world because it doesn't exist for us on our commercial-grade scanner radios. However, if you're into shortwave listening, amateur radio, and if you actually do enjoy, like I do, going outside with a little bit more of an advanced radio, upper, lower sideband, Obviously, you don't need to know what it is if you're using the kind of radio like that, but we're going to touch on it really quick here. So AM radio, amplitude modulation, it consists of a carrier wave, which is uh, two-thirds of a power, right? That's, that's basically your frequency. And you have info-bearing modulation waveform, which is the other one-third of your power. This is basically your AC signal inside of a carrier wave. It consists of two sidebands, an upper and a lower sideband, that mirror each other. And the amplitude is the strength of the waveform, and oscillation is what is varied. This was the earliest method to transmit via voice over radio, right? Done so in the early 1900s. Now, the pros of AM is that multiple transmissions can be heard at the same time. This is why aviation uses AM. AM can also be demodulated using very simple circuits, using very few electrical components, making it very cheap and simple to build. AM signals can also be reflected back to the Earth in the ionosphere level, which is allows signals to propagate several thousands of miles away, which is why we also use it for shortwave transmissions, and also why AM transmitters at night will sometimes change their antenna propagation or their antennas layouts so that they won't propagate too far. Now, the cons of AM is that it's inefficient use of power because two-thirds of it's lost in just a carrier wave. A receiver can detect noise interference rather easily. Now, again, I don't know if you're like me, but I remember listening to, say, a thunderstorm by tuning my AM dial down to an empty channel, and you would actually hear the static over the AM radio when you'd have lightning in the area. AM also, you can get the wine from an alternator in your cars and, and stuff like that. Okay, AM is also not efficient when it comes to bandwidth. Again, AM is used by aviation, CB, at least here in the United States. AM broadcast for talk radio and sports. Now, sideband, upper and lower sideband, removes the carrier wave from the AM type of transmission. This takes advantage of all of the power that you give to it. The pros are is that multiple transmissions, again, can be heard at the same time, can travel much further than standard AM, and it uses more power, thus is more efficient. Now, this is used by HF communications in the ham band. It's also used by HF utility communications. FM, frequency modulation. The RF carrier frequency is varied based on the modulation signal. Now, the carrier bandwidth is about 25 kilohertz wide. This uses a lot of spectrum space. The pros are the information changes in frequency, not amplitude. Covers the frequency range humans can hear, so it naturally sounds better to us. Okay. The cons are the higher frequency FM is absorbed by the ionosphere and do not get reflected. FM is currently used by broadcast radio, commercial FM, two-way communications. Okay. Wideband FM is used by commercial FM radio stations because 
it sounds better. Typical frequency width is 200 kilohertz. And it has room in the bandwidth also for extra data, which is where we sneak in the HD FM in the side lobes here. Now, narrowband FM or NFM is compressed FM bandwidth to allow more licenses or users in the license RF spectrum. The bandwidth is typically determined by the current frequency band that you and you that's in use, also as well as the local planning of the carrier frequency. For example, amateur radio may use 25 kilohertz in bandwidth, whereas radio public safety or commercial may use 12 and a half to 6.25 kilohertz in bandwidth, depending on the technology you're using. Again, it depends on what spectrum and also, you know, the local the local uh, jurisdiction, I guess, is the best way to say that. Okay. Now, we got a lot of the basic terminology out of the way. We understand now at this point how what a scanner is and how RF basically in the modulation schemes work here. Let's get on to some fun stuff now. Simplex is direct transmitting and receiving on a single frequency, radio to radio or point to point. Think of simplex use as a tactical channel or a fire ground channel. Okay. Duplex is directly transmitting and receiving on a pair of frequencies, radio to radio or point to point. An example of this would be a dispatcher transmits on their own frequency. Field units also transmit on their own frequency. But dispatch is listening back on the field unit's frequency, and the field units are listening on the dispatch frequency. So when they key up, they're actually keying up in a mirror of each other. It allows basically two units, dispatcher and a field unit, to keep the same time and be able to hear each other. And this is how New York State Police still to this day still operate on some of their VHF channels, which is rather interesting. Okay, simplex, duplex, finally, repeaters. We're more familiar with how repeaters kind of are used in the uh, in the scanner radio world. So basically all radios transmit on the repeater's input. The repeater will then transmit and is received by the radios on a different frequency, right, on the repeater output frequency. So what ends up happening is this, this creates a very large footprint of coverage by the repeater on that frequency. Also allows people to travel around, use handy talkies or, or a weaker powered mobile radio and still reach somebody typically on the other side of a mountain, across town or one of those deals. Repeaters are generally located on a high point. So that may be on a mountaintop, on a transmitter tower, a couple hundred feet up in the air, or even on a tall building like a hospital, skyscraper, those types of deals. Okay. Typical use for a repeater would be for a dispatch frequency or something that needs a large coverage. Okay, let's get into even more fun stuff here. We're going to talk about conventional scanning. Again, scanning analog and digital transmissions. So analog transmission is basically the modulation on the carrier is an analog in nature. We can hear it without any demodulation techniques or intermediate manipulation of the data on the carrier. So again, think AM, FM radio, marine, voice, aviation, most amateur radio, right? These are all real-world examples of an analog transmission. My voice to you right now, right, is, is an analog type of deal. In an analog world, we have the ability to filter out the same users on the same frequency that we don't want to receive. To use that, we use either a PL or a DPL code, also called a CTCSS or a DCS code. There's a bunch of other things too, right? So PL is basically Motorola private line. And this is a sub-audible signal that's transmitted along with the analog signal carrying the voice channel. So receivers will only open their squelch when the transmitting 
user has the same PL code that the receiver wants to hear, right? You're filtering out what you don't want to hear when you use one of these tones. So if you know the receiver is set to uh, to to receive 179.9, for example, I would need to transmit a PL code of 179.9 with my carrier in order to be received by that user because they're using the same PL code. Now, if I'm transmitting at 100.0, I'm not going to open the squelch on the receiver, but I'm still going to be using that frequency. So if somebody else does key up, I could cause interference, right? It doesn't allow multiple users to use the frequency at the same time. It just prevents you from hearing the unwanted parties on the same frequency. For example, two users can, uh, or two agencies can share the same frequency. We had that happen here on the island where I'm from. New York City can have a frequency, and then somebody out in the county away has a frequency. Well, guess what? I'm in the middle. I can hear them both. I can filter out the one I don't want to hear by putting in the PL of the one I do want to hear. Same story is true with DPL or DCS. DPL is digital private line is the trade term for it. It's a digital coded squelch, again, DCS, that is transmitted with the analog signals carrying the voice transmission. So it basically it works just like PL code, except it's a digitized version of the PL code. You have a lot more numbers to choose from when it comes to DPL than you do when it comes to PL. Uh, there's a whole lot more timing that goes involved with it too, so that you know the, the system knows when the start and the end of the digital bits are. But again, that's above where we are today in our podcast. So let's take a break. <laughs> we have a lot more to cover on the other side. Did you know there are ways to help support the Scanner School podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part? If you go to scannerschool.com support, you will find we have several ways that you can continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in a market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in a market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links to eBay. Again, just go to scannerschool.com support before you make your purchases, and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. This session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealers serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pagers support Scanner School? I think that every Scanner Reader user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now, with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers, having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box, it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and 
a desktop charger. The G2s to G5s, they do P25 Phase 1 and Phase 2 in simulcast environments with stored voice, paging on conventional NP25. Oh, and they're upgradable too to DMR Type 1 and Type 2. They are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners. And with a pager like a Swiss phone S-Quad, you won't even realize you're wearing one. It'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood. So again, eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, phil at eastcoastpagers.com. Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitrunker, DSD+, maybe set up a Pioware, or even just make some changes and you don't understand how the system and the equipment works? The podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com slash consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely, and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at scannerschool.com slash consulting for your scanner radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues too. So visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's natcommag.com for National Communications Magazine. All right. On the other side of the break, we talked about analog transmissions. Let's go into digital transmissions here. Digital transmissions can be P25, NXDN, DMR, D-Star, Yesu Fusion. We're not going to talk about those last two here, right? And there's plenty more, right? You've got stuff we can't even receive with a scanner, such as POGSAC, FLEX when it comes to paging, even basic telemetry. We're not worried about those. Those are examples of digital transmissions. But for the sake of our scanning and our hobby right now, we'll come about, talk about P25, NXDN, and DMR. So basically, the information on the carrier is a digitized information. These all follow a set of protocols that must be matched on both transmit and receive. So while analog transmissions can be heard through the noise or through static, digital has got basically a point of no return. Once you add too much error into a signal, that's it. It's all or nothing. Basically, you're going to receive the signal with some DFQ, dead full quieting, with a little bit of packet loss on it, or you've got nothing at all. So that's one of the limitations when it comes to digital. It sounds great, sounds great, sounds great, sounds great. It's done. That's basically the way digital works. All right. In order to understand digital, we need to understand two types of of timing, basically, is, is what we have to worry about here. We have FDMA, frequency, division, multiple axis. This is basically a method that we split channels by frequency. Okay, so if a user wants to have two channels, they'll tie up two different frequencies. If a conversation runs on channel A, you own channel A exclusively until you are done transmitting. Okay, typically analog. Think about analog. 
FDMA. Really, it's a poor example. It's probably really a good example, but it's a poor way of saying that FDMA is analog, but it works the same way. When I key up on a frequency, I own that frequency. Nobody else can use it until I de-key. When I go to F2, then I transmit over there. Nobody else can use F2 until I'm done transmitting. Okay? So, more channels require more frequencies. The other side of this is called time-divisible multiple access, where a frequency is divided over time. So if you want to use one frequency, you can actually split that by going time A, time B, time A, time B, time A, time B, or time slight, sorry, time slot one, time slot two, time slot one, time slot two, time slot one, time slot two. So then what ends up happening is two users can share the same frequency because they're constantly alternating back and forth between who takes turn on that frequency. They're playing hopscotch, leapfrog, jump frog, whatever you want to call it, right? So you can now add more time slots to a frequency to get more users on it, get more spectrum efficiency. Now, in the RF world here, I believe we're limited to only two, right? P25, NXDN, and DMR really only typically use two time slots. When we went into the cell phone market, right, because I'm a I work for AT&T. When we used TDMA over on AT&T, I believe we had, I'm going to get the confused with GSM, but even GSM was, was, a TDMA type of, was a TDMA type of technology. And I believe we had eight time slots per frequency on there. It's, it's been a while since I had to look at GSM or TDMA. In fact, <laughs> it's been many, 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 many years. Okay, so now we understand TDMA and FDMA. Let's look at the actual names of some things we may recognize here, such as P25. P25 is basically short for APCO 25 or Project 25. It's basically a set of standards that are produced through joint efforts of the Association of Public Safety Communications Officials International, APCO. That's where the APCO comes from, Association of Public Safety Communications Officials. Also through the National Association of State Telecommunications Director and selected agencies and the National Communications System. It's basically standardized under the Telecommunications Industry Association, blah, 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 blah. The P25 suit of standards involves digital land mobile radio, LMR, and services for local, state, provincial, and national federal public safety organizations and agencies. Now, again, all of this came out of the Daniels P25 system training guide. I did not make this up, okay? This is where that came from. So, it uses basically P25 straight out of the box in conventional mode is true digital. There's no analog on it. The P25 standard says you can fall back to analog, but in P25 fashion, it's just straight digital mode. One time slot, FDMA, right? Conventional scanning here. One time slot, one carrier, one user, okay? P25 uses the AMDE vocoder by DBSI. Now, just like analog, where we have PL and DPL code, we have NAC codes on P25. These are a 12-bit code that prefixes every voice or packet data. Now, again, when you key up with the radio, you're not sending basically your voice. You're sending data packets. And the preamble of that data packet is your NAC code. It's a three-bit digital hexadecimal number, which is where we get our 12 bits from. There's 4,096 possible 
NACs that you can use for programming. Now, there's a couple of NAC codes we have on reserve here. There's 293, which is a default NAC. There's F7E, which basically sets a receiver for unsquelch on any NAC. It's basically CSQ's, the digital version of the P25 version of a CSQ. And then we also have F7F, which basically tells a repeater, hey, repeat this signal. I, I, I don't care where it comes from, just repeat it. So in a nutshell, that's P25. Basically, it's digital modulation, and it's a set of standards. And there we go. Bob's your uncle. All right. DMR stands for Digital Mobile Radio. It's an ETSI standard of digital mobile radio, right? That's European. That's what the E stands for here. Conventional DMR falls under two houses here. It's either Tier 1 or Tier 2. Tier 1 is the equivalent of FRS for those who are here in the United States. It's basically license-free use on the European PRM446 band. Simplex only, no repeaters, maximum of a half watt. Again, no repeaters, no telephone interconnects, must use a fixed antenna. Again, suited for personal use, recreation, small retail, so that require large coverage areas. The European PMR446 band operates on, again, you've guessed it, 446 megahertz, and is very similar, again, here to our MERS or FRS here in the United States. Tier 2 is licensed conventional radios that covers from 66 megahertz to 960 megahertz in the European spectrum. Now, those are targeted for those who want spectrum efficiency, requires advanced voice features for higher power communication, and the ETSI spec requires TDMA at 12.5 kilohertz in bandwidth. So again, you can use repeaters on tier two. Now, DMR is overseen or was kind of agreed upon by an association. And this association is called the DMR Association. It was established in 2005, and it's made up of 40 members, including some big names like JVC, Kenwood, Icom, Motorola, Tate, Hytera, to name a few. According to the DMR Association, the key benefits of DMR is the ability to double the capacity of existing licenses, backwards spectrum compatibility with legacy systems, it's efficient use of infrastructure equipment. You've got longer battery life on your mobile devices or your handheld devices. Ease of use and creation of data applications. The system is flexible through simultaneous use of TDMA channels. There's advanced controlling features, superior audio quality based on their analog counterparts, and security via open standard hardware and modules. Now, again, DMR is true digital mode. There's no analog. DMR uses two time slot TDMA. And again, just like P25, it uses the AMBE plus two vocoder by DVSI. So again, P25, DMR, both use the same vocoder. One is FDMA, one is TDMA. P25, however, was made for basically public safety in mind. DMR was kind of made for commercial users in mind. But that doesn't stop people from flip-flopping. Okay. So... DMR conventional sites can be made up of a single site or a small number, which is basically used for small number users. You can have IP site connect, which can link one to five sites together. Again, both these are categorized as a type two system. In our workshop, we'll go through how to program DMR in your scanner. So check that out. Again, scannerschool.com slash 20 
21 for our workshop. Now, again, we've got PL codes, DPL codes, NAC codes. Well, what's the equivalent in the DMR world? Color codes. Color codes are digital coded squelch for DMR. They range in values from 1 to 15. And again, they work pretty much just like CTCSS, DPL, and NAC codes. Now, something you'll see on a DMR repeater that you may not see in anywhere else is called a RAS key. Don't confuse RAS keys with color codes. RAS is are basically restricted access to system. It limits who can gain access to a system when you're using a transceiver. It's just not encryption. And the key's about... 6 to 24 characters in length and ignored by the scanner radio, which is really cool. So if a system near you uses RAS, guess what? You can still listen to it because it's not encrypted. All right. Finally, on this list here, we have NXDN, which stands for Next Generation Digital Narrowband. It is an ITU-R accepted mode of digital mobile radio. The... Um, Protocol was basically created in 2003, was announced in 2005, and first appeared in radios in the year 2006. Basically created for the business environment, right? This was meant to take existing LTR systems and convert them over into a digital type of system, and we have NXDN. NXDN uses FDMA. The NXDA standard supports 6.25 kilohertz or 12 and a half kilohertz. Kenwood's NXDN solution is called Next Edge, and ICOM's NXDN solution is called IDAS or ICOM Digital Advanced Systems. So just backtrack a bit here. So NXDN was created to be a de facto two-way digital standard. This is from the NXDN forum. Again, this is the collective of 30 members, including radio manufacturers such as JVC Kenwood, ICOM. Radio test sets from Aeroflex and Ritsu, General Dynamics, Dispatch Consoles by Zetron, right? These are all the companies that came together to work on the standard for NXDN. So just like DMR had their big brain people <laughs> chiming in on, on what the different manufacturers would like to see in a protocol, NXDN has exactly the same thing. So NXDN can support... FM analog and NXDN digital as it was being rolled out. And this would allow users to slowly upgrade their systems with NXDN radios and equipment before finally turning on the digital switch. NXDN was built with this in mind. This is why you see a lot of community type of repeaters and truck systems that are on NXDN that are coming over from, say, LTR. Right? This was part of the building block the basic building block of NXDN. It would allow you to grow into NXDN so that you wouldn't have to harvest out your old frequencies or anything else like that, right? This would get more people into it in a shorter period of time. This reduces the complexity of the system, keeps the cost down, keeps it easy to manufacture, and also to learn how it works while adding it out into a commercial network. So just, again, like analog and P25 and DMR, NXDN uses RAN codes, radio access numbers. There are 63 RAN codes, and again, these are the ability to filter out other 
NXDN users that share the same frequency, but those you don't want to hear. Again, too, we have talk groups on top of these as well, right? We didn't talk about this. P25, DMR, and NXDN on top of using RAN codes also can implement talk groups on conventional frequencies as well. All these layers on the digital onion, right, make it very efficient to add more and more and more users onto a single frequency, as long as they're not keying up at exactly the same time. So, NXDN, to wrap this one up, conventional can be operated in several different ways. You can have simplex, point-to-point, repeated with repeater over a voting system, over IP networked, or also with networks with site roaming. Okay, we have gone pretty far on part one here. I think at this point, you've kind of gotten a crash course on the basics of the terms that we use in scanning, right? Frequencies, Hertz, PL code, DPL code. And we've gone through P25 really quickly, DMR and NXDN. Again, we'll be able to talk on these a little bit more detail with some images, etc. in our webinar. Again, scannerschool.com slash 2021. Sign up. It's free or go catch the replay. We have session notes on our website for this session if you want to catch those as well. Scannerschool.com slash session 160. Again, don't forget to join us for our weekly Zello Nets. Scannerschool.com slash Zello. And again, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can catch next week's episode. Click on the subscribe button on your podcast player. Or if you're watching or listening to us on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and click subscribe in our YouTube channel. And also sign up for our email newsletter so you know what's coming up next. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with somebody. I want to help as many people as I can with the scanner radio hobby. This is why I'm creating these, this crash course here, right? Because I like I, I, I jump into like radio reference. I see newbie here, newbie here, you know, and I want to be able to say, hey, I can get you up to speed in two hours. Give me an afternoon and I'll help you out, right? Share this podcast with somebody you know that can benefit from it. All right, guys, we went long enough. It's one of our longer episodes. That's why it's broken down to three parts. We'll catch you next week for part two of our 2020 crash course. Again, scanschool.com slash session 160. Scanschool.com slash 2021 for the free webinar. We'll catch you all next week. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.